let us start off nice and easily by uh, saying, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, your biog on Wikipedia, well, we, we can never trust Wikipedia because anyone <laughs> can edit Wikipedia. So tell us a little about yourself. Like, first of all, when did you start in scouting? Well, I started in scouting when I was 11 years old. And I joined a scout troop, uh, like I guess lots and lots and lots of young people do. Um, my scout troop was in Stroud in Gloucestershire, which is where I was growing up. Mm. And uh, I, yeah, I, I guess I haven't really left scouting since. Mm, that's not entirely true. Uh, I was asked to leave. Uh oh. Briefly. Uh, Why? I, I became senior patrol leader for a day. Um, and um, I think I fermented revolution rather than perhaps being quite as compliant as I should have been. And that led to a, a, a shall we say, the scout leader deciding it was probably better that I was to uh, take a break from scouting. Were you one of these troubled teenagers? I was. Well, no, really. I think probably I've uh, I've been causing trouble ever since. So um, <laughs> no, I left. I left scouting after the troop, um, uh, and it was. I mean, he was right. It was. It was time for me to leave. Um, I wasn't a venture scout, um, which goes to show that I must be very old, as I still remember venture scouting. Um, but I, I then rejoined scouting when I was at university. Okay. Uh, and I went to university in Bristol, uh, uh, in, uh, in the southwest of England. And, um, yeah, there I had the amazing uh, opportunity to, um, to do my Duke of Edinburgh Gold Award. And for my service, my volunteering part of it, I thought, well, do you know, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should volunteer in scouting. So I became a Cub Scout leader. And uh, and then I can honestly say that since then I've I've been in scouting. And is this all with the same group? No, 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 not at all. Uh, I've I've moved all over uh, the UK. Um, uh, after university, I trained as a teacher. Okay. And so I was scouting pretty much wherever um, wherever my teaching took me. Um, so so yeah, I've 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 been really lucky. I've been able to scout in uh, in the Midlands, in Lichfield, in Staffordshire, and in central London, where I was a district commissioner, and in High Wycombe, where I was a scout leader, um, and and most recently uh, in Oxfordshire, uh, where um, where I'm the, the chair of trustees. Oh, very good. So, <laughs> <laughs> what was your first necker then? What what colour was your first necker then, John? Uh, First, oh, we're going to get into a conversation about whether it should be a scarf or a necker now. It's a necker. It's a necker. It's well, a let's necker. let's just put this to bed. It's a necker or a neckerchief. That's that's what just I've, I've I've written in some detail about that somewhere else. Um, so because uh, <laughs> I'm afraid I call it a scarf. Okay, it's scarf, scarf then. Scarf, as far as I'm concerned, my very first one was um, uh, one color. It was uh, um, a sort of uh, uh, claret color. And then I moved to to uh, to another scout troop um, in Gloucestershire uh, at my school, uh, and it was bright red. Okay. Now we we've been asking some of the the people that because we're calling this program behind the necker. So if <laughs> if we if we were to say you you just said you were a school teacher by by profession. So if I was to ask you, John, as a youth, what was your Favorite memory of either camp or hike, where would it have been? Well, that's a really, really good question. I guess probably 
it would be as about uh, I, I guess I was I was 14 14 and a half years old okay and I was um, having the opportunity to do practice for my um, my Duke of Edinburgh bronze and um, probably at the same time I was busy working on something we used to call advanced scout standard at right. that stage and uh, disappeared uh, it's just in the in the hills of, of Gloucestershire uh, learning to read a map and, and and learning to read a compass and uh, I was very lucky I had an amazing patrol leader um, and uh, his name was Christopher okay and uh, I I have to tell you I was not a particularly effective scout and uh, on this practice uh, the patrol was was given the opportunity each of us to take the map and to um, to lead uh, lead the rest of the patrol and as you do on on a on yeah. one of these yeah yeah and uh, of course it got to my turn and I got completely lost and and I remember it really really well because Christopher could have done two things you know he could have he could have just uh, pointed at me and made me look a fool but made himself look very big in front of the rest of the patrol mm. or he could have done something else and he did something else what he did was just when nobody else was looking, gently pointed over my shoulder and reoriented the map and just pointed at where we were and where we were meant to be going. And that meant I was able to bring everybody back home safely. And it was it was at that moment. And I mean, I remember it really, really well. It's at that moment that I recognized that leadership isn't just about screaming at people from the front actually leadership is a quiet thing and christopher for me he epitomized everything that i've taken forward in the rest of my life about leadership and it's, it's incredible that these are the moments john that we learn about at a very very young age and even now for me i would say as a leader i've had similar situations but um, as a youth member, you know, this is something that will instill in you for the rest of your life and as, as demonstrated. Now, yeah, you're right. as, as, a, as a scout leader then, have you any particular moments where you just laughed your head off? And Well, we all have those moments, but I'm sure there's one that really resonates in your mind. Um, I, there are loads. I mean, I, I'm not sure about laughing my head off. Um, but being really, really moved, um, I, I, I was I was lucky enough to be the contingent leader for the UK to take uh, the the UK contingent to um, the World Scout Jamboree in the Netherlands. Oh wow! Okay, which was pretty pretty special. Mm. And obviously, that's a lot of a lot of years of, um, of or lo at least a lot of months of preparation. And I guess we took two and a half thousand, maybe three thousand young people. Mm. Um, and um, I remember sitting with uh, with the guy who was acting as my deputy, um, who was uh, an extraordinary man, still is an extraordinary man, uh, now works for the World Scout Bureau in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, his name is Steve Peck. Mm -hmm. And uh, the two of us sat at the opening ceremony and surrounded by... Uh, young people from the United Kingdom, we we, I, we just looked at each other and thought, God, this is this is something special. This is this is what scouting is really about. Forty thousand, I guess, maybe forty thousand people, maybe thirty-five thousand scouts, 
from all over the world, all speaking different languages, all sitting together and celebrating the fact that they're part of this extraordinary movement. Uh, it's not, not something that make, you know, makes you laugh, but my goodness me, it sends a tingle down my spine. Yes, absolutely. There, there is these moments that we do have in scouting where you just go, wow, what have I just done here? What, what have I just created? You know, even it can be as easy, John, as a local scout group where you have 30 scouts at a campsite and just something just goes click and you just realise just what you have created. Um, now, let's move forward. Now, you've, you've talk about the Duke of Edinburgh. Now, you have been involved with Duke of Edinburgh, Edinburgh bronze, silver, I'm guessing gold at this stage, to actually being part of the committee and actually going internationally and representing the Duke of Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's my day job. Um, and I, I guess when I was when I was getting lost with Christopher in the Gloucestershire countryside, I could never possibly have believed that um, more than thirty years later, I would uh, I would end up leading um, or at least supporting supporting the growth of the Duke of Edinburgh's international award worldwide. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have a very pompous job title. Um, I, I'm called the the, the Secretary General. Of the Duke of Edinburgh's International Award, and the Duke of Edinburgh's International Award is in about 130 countries around mm -hmm. the world. Um, uh, it's known uh, by different names. Gashka some... in Ireland, of course. Absolutely, you know Gashka very, very well. I'm a gold holder. I'm glad to hear it, and uh, and yeah, you're right. I'm a I'm a gold award holder uh, from the United Kingdom's D of E. Mm. Um, but in, in other countries, in most countries around the world, we're called the Duke of Edinburgh's International Award. Um, uh, we In South Africa, we're known as the President's Award for Youth Empowerment. As, of course, Ireland, Gascar Presidents. With, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for South Africa, it was extraordinary. Um, Mandela was the president who introduced it. Wow, um, OK. So that makes it pretty special. Um, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I, at any one time, we reckon at the moment there are about 1.3 million young people doing their award somewhere in the world. That is super. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's funny. I mean, you you, you said you you said a moment ago you were talking about um, you have those moments when you think, gosh, is, is you know, did I do that? And the answer is, I I find myself thinking, I well, I didn't do that. That's the whole point. I think what's amazing about um, youth organisations around the world is that it's not so much about the adults. All we do is just gently put in place the frameworks to be able to make learning happen. Yes. What's so exciting is, is whether it's with a scout troop or whether it's with a, um, a, a group of uh, um, uh, sea cadets or, or whatever, it's about young people making decisions for themselves and young people taking control of what they want to do so that they can find their purpose and their passion and their place in the world. Um, and that's that's pretty special, I think. Yeah. Now, does any I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot because you're yeah. in that position with the Duke of Edinburgh. Is there any moment where you've heard a story of a Duke of Edinburgh award holder? that you go and, wow, that is something amazingly special. Like, I know, 
I, I've got my gasket and I think to myself, yeah, I got it. But then I've heard stories about other people that's done amazing gasket qualifications and finals that you go, do I actually deserve a gasket over this person who's done something particularly individual special? And I'm Everybody's award journey is unique. Mm, absolutely. We, we don't have one program. We have 1.3 million programs. Yes. Because because every single young person plots their own way through. And, and yeah, I mean, my my own award experience as a, as a young person at, um, at university um, when I did my gold was um, probably as 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 ordinary as uh, as as anybody could possibly imagine. You know, there was a little bit of um, uh, of volunteering with the scouts. We went on our expedition um, uh, in the Cheviots uh, in, in the north of England. Um, I did some running uh, for my physical recreation and my skill was video making. You know, okay. that's that's 35 years ago. However, yeah, there are I, 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 I guess I, I'm lucky because I get to, to, to hear of some amazing young people. So let me let me give you just a couple of examples. Yes, absolutely. Let, let me tell you about an extraordinary young woman that I met in Uganda called Florence. Okay. Uh, Florence, um, when I first met her, was 14 years old, just started her bronze, um, came from a, a big extended family. Um, uh, her mum and dad um, had both died from AIDS. Wow. Uh, she'd been looked after by her grandma. Her grandma couldn't afford to look after all the children. And so Florence had a really, really difficult choice to make. And um, the choice that it looked like she was making um, was, uh, was she going to uh, starve or was she going to, uh, frankly, sell her body um, and be, be in the sex trade um, wow. in, uh, in, 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 in Uganda? Luckily, she was picked up by an extraordinary uh, non-government organization called SOS Children's Villages and was given the opportunity to uh, go and stay in in their amazing um, it's not an orphanage it's 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 what it's what's called a children's village it's where young people grow up right um, right very safe environment mm -hmm. and as part of that she was uh, she was able to to do her award and when I met her I said to her well what do you want to do with the rest of your life and she said to me, well, what I'd really like to do is I'd like to become a, uh, a psychologist. And I thought, well, that's that's brilliant. And I'm really delighted for you and, and, and didn't really think much more about mm. it. And then three years later, I was back in Uganda and uh, at a gold award ceremony where I was actually presenting uh, the little badges to everybody. And this striking young woman came up to me and said you don't remember who I am do you and I said to her oh gosh I recognize your face but go on you're going to have to remind me and she said well I'm Florence and you first met me in SOS Children's Villages and I just want you to know that um, I've just got a place at Makerere University to uh, to read psychology um, tears so, going down your eyes yeah special, you know? that is special uh, and then and then Completely separately from that, um, there's a young man called Anish Lutel uh, from um, Nepal. Uh, 
I don't know why you went for your expedition mm-hmm. um, uh, or your adventurous journey, as we call it in the in the award. Uh, but um, uh, as I say, mine was in the Cheviot. Well, Anish decided that he'd um, he'd do things a little bit differently. So uh, his gold award expedition was to climb Mount Everest. Wow. Now that, that now I I I did I did off the Wicklow Way in Ireland and around being eaten by little midges um and running up the side of the Sally Gap going this is terrible but going and doing Everest is a sort of a different type yeah. of terrain. Well, he did, and um, I have a photograph of him with our flag at the top of uh, at the top of Mount Everest, um, which is pretty special. Uh, what's even more extraordinary is that he's now become an award leader. Uh, he's a, uh, he's also a scout, I might add, mm. um, and is uh, he's an amazing uh, person. He is currently at base camp, uh, waiting to do his second ascent of Everest. He has packed in the back of his bag the World Scout flag, which I have seen actually on on Thomas tenth. Well, he said he and, and also he's also got the flag for the next World Scout Jamboree, um, as along with the Duke of Edinburgh's International Award. And I had a message from him this afternoon because they got Wi-Fi at base camp, um, which is which is crazy. You just I can't. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and he's uh, he's the weather is a bit windy, so they're they're having to wait. But he hopes that when the weather is better, he'll be summiting for a second time. That's amazing. Now, John, you. You you talk about doing the Duke of Edinburgh and scouting. It just surprises me how you find time for both. <laughs> um, well, I mean, one is one is the day job, you know. Um, yes. So, so the the Duke of Edinburgh's uh, international award is 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 the thing that pays my mortgage. Um, it happens to be my passion as well. But uh, uh, isn't it great if you can do a job where where you actually feel that that going to work that you're making a difference now. One thing that I've I've noticed and following you, of course, on social media is that you've really progressed the Duke of Edinburgh Award with America now. Is is America just one of these new countries that's just really gone on board, especially with the Boy Scouts of America? Yeah, that's certainly true. Um, uh, We've we've had a couple of goes at trying to make things work in in the USA Mm. uh, over several years, but we think uh, at last we've we've, we've cracked it. Um, and partly that's down to an amazing leadership team that's in the USA. Um, and uh, you're quite right. There's a memorandum of understanding now with the Boy Scouts of America and particularly with their venturing program. OK. Um, uh, and um, we're uh, we're doing some absolutely amazing stuff with them. But I think I think, you know, the real thing that's happening is that people around the world are recognizing the importance of stuff like scouting like the duke of edinburgh's international award or the stuff the stuff that we describe as non-formal education yes um for, for the last 20 or 30 years governments have committed an enormous amount of money to formal education and and around the world we've seen um, big, big improvements in literacy and numeracy and basic science. And kids are better. Um, oh, that makes me sound old. But but people leaving school are are better uh, qualified than ever before. The yes. problem is that increasingly 
employers are saying, yeah, 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 they can, they, they, they know their stuff, but they're not able to uh, work in teams. They're not, they don't understand about punctuality. Uh, they Which don't is have... all the things that we learn in scouting. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And, and, and I think, I think what we're doing in both in scouting and also with the award is we're riding a bit of a zeitgeist at the moment. And I hope it's one, I hope it's a wave that we really can surf effectively because I think in order to grow up properly and become a great citizen, whether you're in the USA or whether you're in Uganda, um, uh, what you need to do is you need to develop skills and behaviors and attitudes that make you into a great citizen. Well, we could talk about this all night long, John. <laughs> I, 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 I think like in a lot of different countries, the education system and the curriculum is totally far-fetched that why should I have to set, have a set learning of English, Irish, maths, uh, geography, when you should be able to look outside the, this this curriculum and go, and I I have seen it with my own eyes where there is schools that like just go right, hold on a minute, we're taking these children to the outdoors and we yeah. are going to teach them the outdoors and we are, you know, there's a lot of to be said about health and safety. Yes, health and safety to an extent. But, you know, if we take health and safety too far, we won't let kids climb trees. You're right. You're right. And I, 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 think, um, I think what we've got to do is we've got to provide a framework for young people to learn to manage risk. Yes. Uh, uh, if, if, if we have generations that are leaving school without ever having to manage risk, you know, if they're driven around Dublin in four by fours from play date to play date. Absolutely. From, from the age of five. With the then, technology in the back of the car. Then they're never going to learn how to interact with the real world. Yes. Uh, and, and I think what I've learned through, through scouting and, and also through the award is that if you provide the framework for young people to manage risk and try things out, but within a safe environment that then... When things go wrong, there's somebody to pick up the pieces. Then, eventually, young people will be able to manage without having somebody around. To pick I, up the pieces. I have to throw in here, John, like one of my favourite memories is with my scout group and we're camping down in lockdown. You probably know lockdown because you've been over in Ireland several times. So we're down in Roundwood in lockdown and I'm camping with a patrol, doing a patrol leader course. And all of a sudden, we, we noticed that the Gashka is down there and they are doing it with the Irish Army. And they're taking all those kids across lockdown into Loch Tay. And they, they turn around and say, sorry for the inconvenience of interrupting your patrol leader camp. Uh, come to a barbecue that night. And there, the Irish Army had their full barbecue. And I mean full barbecue. They could have roasted a pig on that barbecue. But those... Those group of teenagers were being trialled properly by the Irish Army right into the Gashka and they are not going to experience that in school. Nowhere, no other youth organisation does what scouting does, does what the Gashka does if you take it and put them out into the outdoors like that. But you see, what we've got to do is we've actually got to persuade education ministers around the world that that's what's important and, yeah. and what's exciting is is that actually they don't need much persuading uh in in, in just a, a few a few weeks time i'm going to ghana 
Mm -hmm. I'm going to Ghana at the, uh, at the request of uh, His Excellency, the President of Ghana, um, who's the patron of the award there. And he wants to talk to me about how he can um, change the way that education is seen in his country so that young people get a holistic education rather than purely an academic education. Now, it isn't, to say, it isn't to say that getting qualifications isn't important. And a good academic education is absolutely vital. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that extra, then you won't be properly prepared for life. And uh, just, just two or three weeks ago, I was in Lithuania having exactly wow. the same conversation with uh, the, the Minister for Education there. And she is adamant that the next generation of young Lithuanians will have a full and varied education. I think, I think the, the, the sad thing, perhaps, mm -hmm. is that there are countries in the world where the split between non-formal education and formal education is getting wider. And that's, those are the places where, where I think scouting, girl guiding, the cadets and other youth organisations can help to bridge that gap for young people. Yeah. Now, do you do you find yourself? Now, you you mentioned a lot of the other associations there, John, in the in your last sentence. But do you mm -hmm. see yourself biased towards scouting because you were a scouter and you can adapt the Duke of Edinburgh into scouting? Um, I'd say that I have the privileged situation of understanding scouting as an organisation, of course, better than any other organisation. Which is which is uh, which is, which is. Which is which is not a negative comment to make, no, you know. No, no. And and you know, I, as 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 you know, I I was the vice chair of uh, of the World Organization of the Scout Movement mm. for, for a number of years. So, of course, I I understand that. For the last for the last three or four years, I I've been a, a trustee of the Sea Cadets in the UK. So I've got a better understanding now of organizations that perhaps uh, have a slightly different methodology than the one that I grew up with. Okay. Um, but I, I think I think what if I'm honest with you, what scouting gives me is an understanding of what it's like to be a volunteer when I'm sitting in my professional role. Yes. So so I could just as easily have been a volunteer with the cadets or a volunteer uh, with a football club or whatever. The, the challenge for those of us who do this for a living and, you know, I do the award for a living, is that we cannot possibly understand what it's like to be a leader and the sorts of pressures and challenges that folks have. Yeah. I, I, think, I think my scouting has given me an authenticity when I speak about volunteering within the award that, um, that it's difficult to manufacture. I, my predecessor as Secretary General uh, uh, was an amazing woman called Gilly Shirazi, who was very, very active as a volunteer in girl guiding. Mm. So I'm certainly not unique. But, uh, but I, 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 do, I do think having that understanding of volunteering is just really important. But I, I always think, and I know, I'd, I'd throw my hand up, listeners, I'm biased. But like you don't have the same type of commitment in a football team as you do in a scouting, girl guiding, cadets, where you are actually taking the children, taking the youth camping. Like, and especially with 
scouts like scouts and girl guiding or cadets at least you have a badge framework that you're working upon with with a football team yes you are putting the two or three days in coaching the team and then a football match at the weekend but you're not living with the youth members well on a weekend you're off. right you're right that the residential experience is is really really important mm. because you see you see all sides of a young person don't you when, yes when, absolutely um, you know when, when you're living with them 24 hours a day I, but I, I i wouldn't um i wouldn't decry the work of of, of football clubs particularly uh we work um we work really really closely with a football club soccer club that's based uh, in one of the most challenging slums in Nairobi. Wow, okay. And and there, young people are drawn to go to a soccer club because uh, they're, I mean, whether you're living in, in a slum condition or whether you're living in one of the most uh, prestigious parts of, uh, of Europe, you can guarantee that premiership football is something that... Um, that Always, grabs. yes, absolutely. And these kids will turn up with Man United t-shirts on and so on and so forth that uh, that they bought it's probably last year's strip but nevertheless they're still wearing them mm. and what we've been doing is saying to those those amazing youth leaders who are working with those kids and using football as the starting point well why don't you just take the award as a framework and add that to your activities and so what you've got is uh, an amazing situation where football is the magnet but young people then get the opportunity to do some volunteering, to do some service to the community, to learn other skills, and of course to go on that expedition and get that residential experience you're talking about. Yes, absolutely. And, 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 and I, you can take that even further. Um, what lots of people don't know about the award is that we work with young people wherever they might be. Um, and, and one of the places where we work particularly effectively with young people is when they're in prison. Um, and I didn't know I, that. Okay. Yeah, I, I've, I've met some extraordinary young people yeah. who are turning their lives around using the award as the tool to do so. I, I, we got time for a little story. Yes, uh, absolutely. I, I, I was in Cape Town in South Africa. Um, uh, and visiting a group of 14-year-old boys um, who were all in prison for um, gang-related crime. Mm. And uh, we went round the circle, and uh, they were telling me what they were doing for their skill, because, uh, okay. as you know, you have to do a skill to get your, uh, to get your award. And uh, we went round the circle, and one was doing uh, baking, another was doing motorcycle maintenance, another was doing woodwork, and I was thinking, this is really, really clever because each of these young people is learning a skill that when they get out of prison, they'll actually be able to use to um, to, to get an income. Mm -hmm. And then we got to Joseph. I didn't know his name at that point. Okay. But there was lots and lots of nudging going on. And I, I, uh, I couldn't work out what, what was going, what, what, why there was suddenly this, this, this atmosphere in the room. And it, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. Okay. Um, in a good way. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I said to him, so so what did you do? For, what are you doing for your skill? And he said, uh, I'll show you, sir. And he stood up, and with a beautiful tenor voice in perfect Italian, sang "Nesting Dormer." Wow. Um, 
and, and, and the rest of the kids applauded and uh, frankly there were tears and it was, it was amazing and it made me realise that you should never ever ever assume anything with young people yes I had assumed that because these young people were in prison, the only skills that they could be engaged in would be vocational ones. Nice. And, and that was nonsense. Of course, it was right that those kids had chosen those skills for themselves, but it was also right that Joseph had chosen to sing as his skill and had literally, literally found his voice. Um, and, it's and just I, like I, an X Factor moment. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I, I didn't quite feel like Simon Cowell. Uh, <laughs> okay. Probably, I, I probably see my. Well, anyway, we won't go on from yeah. the judge. I see myself. Out. But, but, but I, I, I guess what I'm saying is that we, we have an extraordinary responsibility as leaders when we work with young people. Yes. Not to take the shortcut always, but to search for as mentors to young people to search for helping them to make the decision about what they want to do in order to reach their aspirations. It, if I look at Gashka and I look at, uh, and I look at the award worldwide and I mm. look at scouting, one of the things that I find sometimes quite, I, I suppose, a little bit disappointing, and I would, my own experience um, suggests that, that I'm no different, is that when it comes to the volunteering part of the award, young people choose to volunteer in the, with the Cub Scouts, yeah. with, their own, with their own group. Absolutely, I agree, yeah. Instead of, instead of perhaps being encouraged by their leader just to look a little bit further and think, what is it that really, really excites you as a young person? Let's find you a volunteering opportunity that makes that work for mm. you. Now, look, as it happens, my own experience was... Uh, volunteering with young people and I turned it into a career so yes. I have the Duke of Edinburgh's award to thank um, or people have the Duke of Edinburgh's award to blame uh, for, for the whole of my my career of working with with young people but let's just make sure that we're not forcing young people into volunteering that actually would be their second choice rather than their the first, first. Yeah, absolutely and it, it all comes down to as well john having a good duke of edinburgh award leader yeah or a gashka leader like i had a fantastic leader who said what do you want to do you know and and talk to me through it so and i i did bring a couple of scouts in my last group through to uh, Duke of Edinburgh or Gashka, silver and bronze. Um, thankfully, they they did help out with the... Now, they, they, I didn't push them. They did want to help out with the beaver section and they, they worked with the beaver section along with doing camps as well. Now, John, you, you did mention to me on social media that you were heavily involved with this. Now, we talked to Tim Kidd during the week on Scouting Radio. This new logo for the scout association it's not <laughs> yeah. it's not the badge and it's not as the, as as uh, normal media have portrayed it it's not a change that's going to totally revolutionize the scout association so i asked him and he hesitated to tell me yes or no there's a badge that's going out around social media at the moment that goes this is the one that's patented by uh, Scout Association UK. Is it the actual logo? 
Well, I, I, I haven't been heavily involved in it. Okay. Um, uh, I, was, I was the guy who, uh, with a number of others, led the development of the last... The uh, swoosh. The swoosh. Okay. Um, uh, which now, you know, looks... Well, it looks 18 years old, because uh, that's what it is. Um, I have seen some treatments of the new logo, and um, I'm, I'm really, really quite heartened and excited by what I've seen. Um, I have literally seen it for moments, okay. uh, no more than that. I think, you know, the, the thing about visual identities is they're only part of a brand. Mm-hmm. And and um, and it's a corporate brand at that. As you say, we're not changing, or the UK Scout Association is not changing its work, the world badge. Um, it's uh, certainly not uh, losing the fleur de lis uh, or the arrowhead, depending on how you read history. Yes. Um, uh, I, I, but but I think I think there is something about making sure that corporately. An organization looks like it's fit for the time and the people that it wants to attract. Mm-hmm. And, and I have direct experience of that with the award. We, um, we rebranded uh, uh, just over seven, uh, seven years ago um, and uh, globally. Uh, before, uh, before that, we had a, a bird that looked remarkably like a dove. Mm-hmm. And um, it, and we called ourselves the International Award. Uh, and my worry about that, and it was one that was shared by a lot of people within uh, the organisation worldwide, was that people just didn't understand who we were. Uh, they didn't understand that we were um, an aspirational organisation for young people. It looked like we were a peace organisation. Now, right, that's right. not to say... That, that peace is not an important value of the Duke of Edinburgh, but it's only part of it. Okay. And so we rebranded, and, and our bird morphed from being a dove to being a more aspirational uh, bird. Um, uh, I guess it's probably an eagle, um, but nobody's quite certain. Mm-hmm. Um, but the important thing is, it now look it, it now looks to the future, and it's very colourful. It has the colours that are represented with the various sections of the award. Uh, and uh, worldwide, we reintroduced the name of the Duke of Edinburgh because that was a piece of, now I'm going to use dreadful marketing speak now, that was a piece of brand equity that allowed us to set ourselves uh, apart from everybody else and allowed us to show uh, who we are. The result of that has been, first of all, uh, that it was adopted by uh, a, a virtually everybody mm-hmm. um, and those that didn't adopt it chose to use it as um, an endorsement brand to their own brand mm-hmm. so uh, we thought it would take three or four years uh, to get the 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 the, the visual identity uh, around the around the world it took six months wow people, people loved it yeah uh, and wanted to use it and it has been part of you know and and i think a genuine contributory factor to a move in the number of participants over the last five years from 750,000 a year to 1.3 million and growing every year. So I I know that people have 
uh, when looking at the Scout, uh, the UK Scout Association said, well, you know, you need to spend money on other things. Um, the answer is actually you do need to spend some money on what you look like mm -hmm. uh, 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 corporately. Of course, you also need to raise money uh, and spend money on developing scouting in uh, 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 underserved markets. Again, if we're using management speak. But the two are not at ends of a spectrum. Um, they're part of a toolkit of what one should be spending one's money on um, that a chief executive and a board of trustees have to make decisions about. Yeah. Um, and there are other things like, I mean, frankly, safeguarding, where an enormous amount of money now has to be spent. Of course, absolutely. Years ago, 40 years ago, we might never have considered that it would be important. Mm -hmm. and, and if I look at if I look if I look at the Scout Association UK through the lens of being the chief executive of another youth organisation, or we're not we're not a youth organisation, but a youth framework. Okay. I look at what uh, the team is doing in the UK, and I think, do you know? I think you're developing uh, a really, really effective brand to encourage young people who would not normally come to scouting to come and discover the adventure and learn those skills. And the key word that you've used in that sentence, John, it's branding. It's not just the logo as Team Kids reckon, uh, pointed out in, mm. in the interview. It's not just the logo. And we haven't seen it. We've seen rumours it does look like we're still keeping the arrowhead or the fleur de lis and you know what it i i asked him earlier in another interview are we changing the uniform are we getting rid of the next sheep nothing else there is changing scouting is scouting people recognize scouting with the fleur de lis or the arrowhead and the necker and that is going to always be known as the global brand I, I, I think you're right. I, I, I do think scouting is a movement, mm -hmm. and I think, uh, I think things progress. Um, if I had looked at, uh, for instance, the way in which our promise uh, has uh, got new uh, alternative versions over the last few years, not just to, uh, to, to, to look at young, uh, young people who have a faith other than a monotheistic one, um, but also young people perhaps with no faith at all. I think what that's done is it's made it easier for adults and young people to get underneath what scouting values are about and to make a promise that they can truly make. Yeah. Um, uh, I think uh, uh, the way in which uh, um, scouting in the UK and in Ireland and in a number of other countries around the world has really got to grips uh, with uh, issues for young people of their sexual with their sexual identity mm -hmm. is a way that it has helped young people to come to scouting who actually would really really benefit from uh, the nature of the relationships that exist within scouting and the support that they're provided uh, who would not in the past have felt comfortable within the scout movement i cannot see those as anything but good yes and 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 I think the danger for us is that as leaders, and um, in my case, leaders who are getting less hair and the hair that is <laughs> getting greyer, we tend to judge the changes that are going on in scouting 
through the lens of our own memory of what we ourselves enjoyed as young people. Absolutely. And, and of course, some of that is absolutely appropriate mm -hmm. because kids still, as we said earlier in the interview, kids still like climbing trees. Yeah. Kids still like camping. Yeah. But young people today do experience the world in a different way to the way in which we experienced it as teenagers. And it's getting shorter and shorter in generations of what? what? Yeah. 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 And, 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 and my, my sense is that, that those that are reacting uncomfortably with change, um, that, that feeling of, of, of discomfort um, is, is perfectly understandable. And uh, I sometimes feel it myself. Yeah. Um, in fact, not sometimes. John, I, I feel it myself and I'm only 35 years of age. You know, when, when you look at, you say to yourself, right, and sometimes I contradict myself and say, right, Scouting Radio, it's an internet radio station for scouting. But then you just go, the Boy Scouts of America Jamboree has 5G network across the whole Jamboree and they're promoting technology in the campsite. And then you say, well, hold on a minute, shall we take technology out of the campsite? And, and, and you say a really interesting thing there, which is, and we sometimes contradict ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is, as human beings, we spend our whole time contradicting ourselves because that's what being human, honestly, that's what being human is about. Yeah. And, and so it's perfectly all right, you know, to look at something and go, oh, don't like that. And then to think, oh, but actually, let's give it a go. Let's just let's just see how it works itself through, because um, it may be that uh, people who are not at the moment immediately attracted to the movement look at. Uh, let's take the, the, the visual identity as an example, look at the new one and go, oh, that's interesting. I mean, even the fact that it's being introduced is going to bring scouting to the to the fore in terms of the media, and there will be a new story to be told. Um, uh, I I don't know. I I just feel that sometimes we have quite a binary attitude towards life. It's either good or it's bad. Yes. It's either right or it's wrong. Well. And, and and increasingly, as I get older, I'm beginning to realise that I don't have the um, uh, the monopoly on what's right and that actually uh, there's a much much more complicated nuanced set of shades in between that different decisions fit into um, and that sometimes it's better just to go let's just see how things work their way through rather than um, rather than being too vociferous around either a plus or a minus absolutely now with, with scouts boy scouts of america allowing girls now into the into the uh younger sections which will eventually be the older sections we've been saying it on scouting radio for years and i've been predicting that it was going to call themselves the scouts usa and only recently they've decided to call themselves the scouts bsa and Michael Sorber said, well, eventually you won't realise them calling themselves Scouts BSA. They're just going to be known as Scouts. What, what is your thoughts on it, John? Uh, my thoughts are that I don't, as a, as a, I'm, I'm, I have dual nationality. I'm Australian and I'm English. Okay. And you can hear from my accent that I'm the most English Australian that <laughs> you've ever met. 
and and I don't I don't pretend to understand the complicated nature of a country that is as big as the continent in which both our countries exist. Absolutely. Uh, I I guess I understand a little bit of what makes the USA tick in New York and Chicago um, and a little bit down the East Coast, but I don't pretend to understand how things work in the true Midwest. Um, uh, and, And so what I look at, is the way in which Mike uh, Silberg, the the chief scout executive, and the amazing team of leaders that are now part of the Boy Scouts of America's leadership team are looking to shift uh, the Boy Scouts of America into a different place. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I... I don't know what the drivers are for them. Um, uh, uh, there have been talks about it all being to do with numbers. I'm not entirely convinced by that. I think there's also a, a desire from from the senior leadership of the BSA to be relevant to yes. young people and also to sit close to scouting values. And for them, that means diversifying their membership. How they do so and accommodate the the wants and needs of such a broad spectrum of people ranging from those who would tomorrow have a fully co-educational organization through to those that cannot possibly see how introducing girls is going to be a good thing for the boys with whom they work yes how you do that and keep as many people as you can on board and on the journey. It's very difficult. I think it's a really, really difficult tightrope. And I think Mike and his team are doing it, are doing it really, really well. And if I look at the changes over the last 18 months to two years. And and that's it, John. In 18 months, we have seen revolutionary changes in the Boy Scouts of America. Now, what what something something that really is beggar's beliefs for me is how the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts of America haven't just merged and become Scouts America. And it, it might sound the most simple answer, but maybe it's not. Well, I don't think it is. Um, I mean, I, if if you look at the at the missions of both organisations worldwide, mm-hmm. they are. Um, they are complementary, but they're subtly different. Yes. Um, girl guiding, girl scouting. Yes. Um, has always positioned itself globally, and I think it's certainly true in the USA, as being about a space for young women yes. uh, to be able to grow um, uh, uh, in, in, a, in a space where where it is it is the the I guess the development of young women is the first and most important thing. How did it never get called Girl Guides then in the US? Uh, I don't know. I that, don't that's know. a really good We don't but, have the answer to that. But it's, uh, it, I mean, it, it, it's not just the US. Uh, the Philippines also call uh, their, their girl. Oh, really? Girl. Okay. So I learn something new every day. Yes, okay. Uh, which is why WAGS is the World, Association, the World Association of Girl Guides and Girl Scouts. Ah, very uh, good. Okay. So, um, uh, you know, WASM, WASM shifted 
uh, about, I guess, about 25 years ago. Uh, my history isn't too good to saying actually Wasn believes that young men and young women grow best if they do their activities together. Mm. And um, that's uh, that's a, a different nuance of still wanting to create great citizens um, and wanting young people to to find their position in the world, but uh, but but doing so in a slightly different way. And I think it's very dangerous for us to judge what's going on in another country absolutely yes by our own direct experience absolutely of course that will help to inform it but it shouldn't be the only information that we give do you know our, I, I i'm old enough and ugly enough to remember um us moving to full co-education within the uk scout association in which fact, is 1967 about uh, partially before uh, no I'm, I'm more thinking the the uh, the, the 80s and 90s okay. shifted towards full co-ed in okay. all sections okay uh, and and i was i was part of the senior leadership team within the scout association as a volunteer at that time uh it was it was tough mm. and when we announced that uh we were going to say that by 2007, all scout groups would be co-educational. Um, uh, the, the, the hate mail that I received was quite considerable. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah. We're yeah. just not scouting at all. Well, but it was people who, who were really upset about change. Equally, you've got uh, European associations that chose to merge in the way that you just described mm. by the... Um, by the Girl Guides and the Scouts coming together as a single organisation way back in the early 70s. Mm. Um, and they look at what's going on at the moment in the Boy Scouts of America and they can't understand how a, an organisation could have continued for so long in the situation that it is. Right. But it's worth remembering that in Scouting Netherlands, for instance, which was a, which is a Scout and Guide national organisation, yes. so um, it's an organisation that merged back in the 70s, and um, uh, Actually, there are lots of different opportunities for young people within that organisation. There are single-sex scout troops, and and uh, whether that's girls or boys, uh, there are mixed as well. Um, and I think now mixed is the the norm, mm. but the opportunity to have single-sex still exists there. Um, so one shouldn't. I don't know. I, I I just it comes back to this issue of 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 right wrong binary decisions. For me, Boy Scouts of America are working out what is going to work for them in a pragmatic way and are managing change in a way that works for their association. Their association, with their own, yeah. With their own particular yeah. business model, which, remember, is wildly different from the business model that the rest of us use uh, yes. around the world. Absolutely. Because they have all the chartered organisations. Um, uh, so so that they don't just have to bring along their membership. They have to bring along the organizations that have, if you like, uh, adopted scouting as their method for youth work. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I have, I have two final questions for you, John. I know I've taken up a lot of your time as a busy man with, with everything that you do. Now, if you were to say, if I had a magic wand and was able to wave it across the scouting movement, what would I change and why? Gosh, I think what if I truly had a magic wand, mm -hmm. I would, and resources were no object, I would make it possible 
um, for young people to understand what the world of scouting looks like as well as their own immediate community. Um, uh, I think I think what scouting has as a very, very special part of it is that single purple badge that all members of WUSM wear. Yes, okay. I recognise that not everybody is necessarily a member of WUSM, but we we are by far the largest yes, absolutely. of the, the global organisations. And um, I, I, I just know, to come right back to, to, to our early part of this conversation, I remember how special it was sitting at a World Scout Jamboree and thinking, gosh, we're all pulled together with a similar set of values. I'd like to find more and more ways with a magic wand to help every young person appreciate that. Now, I think Scouting Radio has done a good deal to help to... Thank you very that. much, John. I think, I think Scouting on the Internet has done, a, has done that. And I think social media, frankly, is changing the way in which young people perceive the world of scouting in a way that I could not possibly have imagined mm. as a scout myself, as a young scout myself. But I'd just like to take that even further so that every young person had the opportunity to have some kind of international experience. Now, final, final question. And Tim Quaid said, I didn't know you were going to ask me this question. <laughs> <laughs> if you had one, I, I said one, and then I said, you can have three if you want. If you had one or three songs to say what scouting means to you, what would that song be? <laughs> oh, this is going to be really corny. Um, okay, so the very first that immediately comes into mind um, mm. is uh, oh, this is this is I'm never going to live this. Time. <laughs> uh, so do you remember? Um, uh, I think it was S Club Seven and Reach for the Sky. Oh, yes, it's corny, but we will play it, listeners. Uh, because uh, I'll tell you why. First of all, because actually that's about aspiration. And um, it's, it says everything for me about what, what young people within scouting should think about uh, in terms of their own futures. But it also happens to be the piece of music that was played at every single roadshow when we relaunched the Scout program and began in the UK. Oh, really? Okay. A period of growth that has that that we, I'm glad to say, is still is still continuing. So that would be, I guess, the the piece of music that I would immediately choose. Um, uh, and then, um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I I think I'll I'll stick at that. I mean, you, you, because otherwise you begin to get down some really cliched spaces. Okay. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, I would be fascinated to know what Tim had to uh, had to offer on that. He 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 actually picked the Penguin song as a campfire song. Yeah, well, he's a pretty impressive campfire leader, so yeah. that's not altogether surprising. I was my my second choice would have been, and this is deeply deeply disturbing. Uh, it would have been Crestable Way. We're um, riding on a Crestable Way. Yeah, okay. I, I've I've uh, I, as a young as a young person. I got an enormous amount out of performing um, in gang show. Um, and every time I hear that, I am transported back to being a teenager and recognising that scouting, of course, scouting is about the outdoors. And of course, scouting is about camping and a whole lot of other things. But it's also about 
discovering what you yourself are really great at. And I've created a, a, a set of friendships and a love for performance mm-hmm. through scouting um, that, um, yeah, that, that, that ni- neither that friendship group nor, nor, that, uh, nor that love for performance has left me. So. That's, that's a brilliant two. You don't have a third. I'm, I think we'll leave it at two. <laughs> two. Two, two's, a, two's an untidy number for somebody who, was, uh, who, who, who had training as a management consultant because uh, we should always talk in threes. But, <laughs> but, but two will do, I think. John, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It's, 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 what a wrap-up of a, a journey of scouting and the Duke of Edinburgh. Um, hopefully we'll get to talk to you again. And if, if any of our listeners have any questions that they want to ask John about the Duke of Edinburgh uh, or scouting, I'm sure, I'm sure you're happy to answer them. I'd be absolutely delighted. It's been, it's been a real pleasure to chat. So thanks so much. Thank you so much, John. Thank you.